Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher. I'm joined by the Snare Campaign Provocateur. Uh, at this point, he's the crown jewel of drummers from New Jersey rock bands. It's Benny Horowitz. Oh, you can't bait me. Oh, there's a lot offline about that one. But what's up, dude? There's a lot of great rock and drummers from New Jersey, I would yeah. say. Let's not go through the whole list right now. Yeah, that was na- aimed at one very particular drummer. But what's up, dude? How's it going? How's heard it- stories. Well, I'll, just say, I'll just say I've heard stories, okay? <laughs> and they are from reputable sources. Aggregate that, internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Try to figure it out, everybody. Try to figure out what drummer I'm talking about. I'm talking about Ringo Starr, that piece of oh shit. Oh, my gosh. New Jersey native Ringo Starr. But what's I bet up? Ringo Starr is like the nicest guy ever. He kind of yeah. seems like it, right? Like I hope so. I hope so. You know, you it's one of those people, he's basically been told by like all of the world that he was like the least important part of like the greatest band in the world. Yeah. And you'll never not see that guy without a smile. He's obviously come to grips <laughs> with being the fourth best member of the greatest band in the world. Still not bad. Yeah, no, I'd rather be the fourth best of something than the second best of nothing. I don't know. That probably didn't make sense. It's the cautionary tale I use from Dave Mustaine of Megadeth all the time. (laughs) Now, you know, some hard rock guy like me, Megadeth, Dave Mustaine were a very big deal, you know, like like big band. But he was in Metallica, (laughs) you know, and he was pissed that he wasn't getting enough love in Metallica. And then he quit Metallica. Don't do that. Yeah. You know, never quit Metallica. That's no. a pro tip for anybody out. Never quit Metallica. <laughs> pro, tip. pro tip. It's never worked out well for anyone. No. Jason Newstead has a lot of bands that that I've never really listened to. Oh, all right. Well, well. Speaking of bands we haven't really listened to, or podcasts you haven't really listened to, it's time for this day in music history. Do, 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 do. You might make fun of me for what I chose. Yeah. But I chose Boston's debut <laughs> self-titled album, Boston. Oh. So on this day in uh, 1975, this album was released. Now, that is not the story here. I looked into it. It's a classic record and a surprisingly funny and cool story that I had no idea about. You know, Boston to me is just part of the... 70s slick hard rock narrative more than a feeling you know and you forget the things that that used to go into making albums at this time so in the late 60s tom schultz of boston he went to mit and he ended up working for polaroid in product development Hmm. he used the money he made at polaroid to subsidize his his home recording uh habit and his home studio uh, he started playing with a couple of the guys uh, who, who wound up being on that record in, in Boston in the early 70s as a band called Mother's Milk. And they were pushing a demo to major labels. But this demo included uh, six hits from the initial Boston record, including more than a feeling that Schultz had been making in his basement. Oh. Uh, they pushed this demo around for years and finally signed to Epic but insisted, Epic insisted that the record sound just like the demos, but needed to be recorded in a pro production studio. So this is where this whole story got really funny. They employed a producer named John Boylan, who then had ran interference to the label and let them believe that the band Boston was recording in California, while Schultz 
was home in Waterton, Massachusetts, recreating parts from the demo in his basement. He even went as far as sending the other four guys who were playing in Boston out to California. They recorded the song, Let Me Take You Home Tonight. And that was uh, to throw off the label to make it seem like they were working in California while Schultz was actually at home uh, uh, recording basically all this himself in his basement. And he described this basement as like a proper basement basement, you know, that, you know, he had a a Leslie organ down there where the sewage would come up and like, you know, he he wasn't in a nice place. Uh, You know, and they, they had the decoy of the band in California and eventually uh, Boylan parks an audio truck outside of his house, running cables to the truck to transfer the tracks themselves out of his house and get him into a production studio. So this has now been described as one of the most complex corporate capers in the history of the music business. Uh, and the album ended up only costing a few thousand dollars, which was a paltry amount in the industry accustomed to spending hundreds of thousands on a single song at the time. Right. So this was kind of a crazy, cool, almost mad genius story about this record that I never knew about because of Tom Schultz and his commitment to recording these songs at home. And, and as you learn reading about it, his, uh, uh, you know, overzealous and almost insane Brian Wilson style of re-recording and re-recording and re-recording over and over again. Um, what, what, what else was cool? I mean, even though this became the, you know, epitome of basically corporate rock structure and production, it eventually became the highest selling debut album at the time and went platinum 17 times over. But he was still working at Polaroid when it came out. And once the initial figures of 200,000 sales came in, Schultz finally gave his two weeks and said that was the most difficult two weeks of his life because he knew that he was a budding rock star and had to stay at Polaroid. And he was quoted as saying, I was basically a dork that hit the books and liked to build things and did all of the things that you weren't supposed to do to be popular. But somehow I ended up on stage playing guitar in front of everybody else. (laughs) And I think that's a pretty cool story. And also one of those cautionary, not a cautionary tale, but kind of a highlight of what some of the music industry is about you know people see the videos and they see the people in pictures and they imagine i think people got there for being cool and quite the opposite i think people got there more often than not from being like this guy from being super obsessed and nerdy and uh over impulsive about the things they wanted to do almost insane and that those are the people who wind up doing these great things and the people who were cool were probably too busy being cool to go ahead and spend all your money building a fucking home recording studio in your basement and spending all of your free time working down there. Not very cool. You're not going to bars. You're not getting the girls. You're not doing cool stuff when you're in that basement. Uh, it's a very isolating and lonely place. This is before the internet. Yeah. I can imagine this person had some very, lonely nights down in his basement making more than a feeling you know so i i I appreciate that i I never knew 
that basically a record that some people will, if you ask for an example of a corporate rock record, Boston, Boston would be at the front of a lot of people's mouths as far as uh, what it is to, to the narrative of music. But there's a long story behind everything. And uh, I think once you learn those stories, you should belittle music less and less, especially when you're a musician, you know? We're all closer to each other than we think. That's crazy. That's, that's a really cool story. I had no idea about the, the deception part of this whole thing. Yeah. But. Yeah, really cool. I like literally sent the band out to record a decoy song. <laughs> Pretty intense, especially when you're just signed and like don't have any juice. You know, I respect someone who is so dedicated to their process that they would have fucked everything up just to keep their process, you know? Exactly. That's really cool. All right, Benny. Well, from one fanatical recording to another on this day in 1975, you know where I'm going with this because I'm, if I'm, I'm nothing but a panderer. New year. This audience on this day in 1975, born to run came out and Ben, Benny, fun fact about this one, all of the songs written by Bruce on the piano before the right. full band arrangements came out. So we went into plenty about this album on uh, past episodes when we did the, uh, now that's what I call Madness or Music Volume 1. Uh, go back, check it out. Brian really broke down Bruce. A lot of people yeah. broke down Bruce. Yeah, so this day, uh, I was stalling a little bit to try to get the math because it's a big birthday for this one. I want to say 45, but I don't think so. <laughs> no, no, no. What's uh? What's what's? Uh, let's see. Wait, 75, 75 to now. You really have a hard time with that? It's forty-five, uh, man. You were right. Forty-five. Look at this. Look at this. That market education. Twenty-five plus twenty. That's it. You're I'm plus. Look at me. All right. <laughs> wow. I, you really are feeding the aggregators today. <laughs> um, I'm trying to pander and then I'm trying to troll all in one Smith move. Really, if we don't get signed from that, I don't know. That, well that's done. all the internet. Well done. <laughs> well done. And my last one, Denny, this yeah. is a, a quick tribute. I'm not going to get into this one. But uh, this day in 2001, Aaliyah and eight others were killed in their plane crash in the Bahamas. She went too early. Extremely sad situation. So I wanted to give some love to Aaliyah. I thought she had a nice career ahead of her. I wish I got to see it. Yeah. Rest in peace. All right, Benny. The first headline today, the Philadelphia 76ers have officially fired head coach Brett Brown after their first round sweep in the 2020 bubble playoffs. Benny, you know, there's a lot to be made about the process. You can talk about their seven, uh, their 47 and 199 record during that stretch. You can talk about all of all of the losing that occurred. Two-parter here. Is this the end of the process? And what do you think is next for the Philadelphia 76ers? Well, I mean, the, the most predictable thing already happened, which was the sacrificial lamb was sacrificed. I'm not saying Brett Brown did a great job, but uh, – he also took him one Kawhi Leonard shot away from an Eastern yeah. Conference Finals. And, um, but everybody knew that the first one to go was him. So here he goes. Yeah. Uh, he looked increasingly by the minute, he looked stressed. He looked almost drunk. <laughs> he, he looked like he was having zero fun coaching that team by the end of it. I almost feel like 
It's one of those scenarios that he feels relieved about. Um, is the process over? Wasn't the process over last season when they signed Tobias Harris, yeah. Al Horford, traded for Josh Richardson, and brought in basically stalwart contracts that you need to make sure that this all works perfectly in sync at this time, which was everything antithetical to the process. Yeah. I liked the idea at the time of them buying in, uh, putting the pieces around these guys and really going for it. They just happened to make bad decisions. They let go of people like Jimmy Butler, didn't fight for him, let go of Redick, let go of all these other pieces that they needed. They needed shooters. Uh, they could have used um, uh, Mikhail Bridges pretty bad instead of Zyar Smith, a bad draft day deal that really bit him in the ass. So uh, to say this was Brett Brown and not mismanagement is, is a mistake. Um, now, what happens next? I'm in the camp that the Brett Brown firing was enough to to uh, keep the angry people away and give this thing one more run. Mm. And I think that they don't want to, but they have to. Unless you're packaging Embiid or Simmons, you know, with a Horford contract, with a Harris contract, which so few teams could even take on, if any, I think the only realistic option, unless you have a coup for like a Bradley Beal or something like that, is one more run like this. And I think uh, that's where you got to give a coach a half a season to see if he can do something different with these lineups and with Embiid and Simmons. I mean, Brett Brown literally in the last three seasons ran pick and roll for Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons 306 times in three years. That takes them out of the NBA's top 200 pick-and-roll partners. Uh, I think they found out with, um, you know, uh, through trial by fire this year that you can't keep Embiid and Horford on the floor at the same time defensively because Horford is just getting eaten up by fours. I mean, and the numbers prove it. I mean, the offensive efficiency of teams – when Horford and Embiid are out in the court and Horford's running the four is, is gross. And it's something that just like can't exist, especially with Horford year to year getting a little, you know, losing a step. So now you essentially have a $70 million backup center um, that you can't use in that capacity. So I, I think, you know, obviously they're in these logjam contracts I think Embiid at this point might just be—he might just be what he is. You know, let me ask you: you you watch Joel Embiid play? Yeah. Do you see a lot more from this guy coming that you that you haven't seen yet? Well, I think what really unlocks Embiid as a playmaker and a difference maker is when he has a two-man game uh, of someone that can play on the perimeter, like like what he did with J.J. Redick, like what he did with Jimmy Butler, when, you know, they're either picking it and, and popping or a little ISO situation where you always have that threat in the corner. I think that's what really opens up his game. They just didn't have that this year, and I think that's a big part of the reason why they got swept so quickly. The Ben Simmons 
Joel Embiid thing. That's not going to work. So it's going to be very interesting to see. Ellen Brand has a lot of work in front of him. I know he's new on the job, but he did not put this team in a position to succeed this year. They put Band-Aids over long-term injuries, and I think they need to pick one guy to rebuild around and not make the same same mistakes again. And look, I have a theory, and I want to get to this in a little bit, but this year's draft could be pivotal for them, and I could definitely see Ellen Brand finally starting to get his imprint on this team because I don't think it fully was this year. I think they were still trying to make the Embiid-Simmons Rep Brown thing work. I only think one of one of the, that trifecta is going to be back next year. And I think Ben Simmons is going to be on his way out because I think this works perfectly. I could see Golden State making a trade here. Think about it. They have the assets. I think that they, that they would trade this year's first-round pick, next year's first-round pick that they got from the T-Wolves in the Wiggins deal, maybe Andrew Wiggins. Yeah, but what's the point of Philly taking that on when you're going basically you're trying to start the process again by getting rid of one of the big two while surrounding the team that just got swept by Boston with a couple extra rookies so you can't you can't be that deep into the luxury tax paying the team you're paying while trying to rebuild at the same time like, so you think that they should get rid of Al Horford because I think that, that no no but like I think that that they could very easily make that trade, maybe draft like a, a, a James Wiseman who matches up and would play better with Embiid or go with the, a top point guard like LaMelo Ball in this draft. And I feel like that would really open them up more than what they have now. I mean, for sure. I just don't know how they're getting a top three pick. Um, for Ben Simmons? I mean, who, who's, who's Minnesota is just going to go straight up? What? Top three pick for Ben Simmons. You get the number one pick for Ben Simmons. I think. Especially I think, with him coming, the fact that he's about to get paid. Paid, paid. That's a good point. But I think it may, I mean, Golden State's not looking for a long-term fix. That They need someone to plug in. Um, and if it's a rental, again, I, I know the Warriors want to round out this Steph Clay thing with a longer-term solution. And maybe... Maybe they do keep the pick, but I think for one year getting back on their feet, the trifecta or the, the foursome rather of Draymond, Ben Simmons, Stephen Clay, because what Golden State is trying to do right now, they're trying to get uh, renew the season tickets and get people interested um, once again because, you know, they're trying to appeal to that San Francisco crowd. It's not the Oakland cl- crowd anymore. So I think trying to make the move for, for Ben Simmons – Another name on the poster, I think that would get people excited in San Francisco. I, I, I like the idea, but I think, I think you're going down the wrong hole. And I think if Philly is going to be able to make, is going to be able to make a trade, yeah. they are going to have to find a team who is willing to absorb contracts. So more than likely to me, I think they go into the season with the team they have maybe a couple of supplements here and there with the low-level exceptions they can afford. And then I think you might, you might see a blow-up for teams that are uh, willing to absorb a Horford contract, willing to absorb a Tobias contract, which isn't a dead contract. Tobias Harris is a good basketball player who can help your team. He's just clearly not worth that money. So I think maybe you see a team tanking and dying 
who has a lot of cap space who's willing to absorb one of these contracts for assets. But I don't see a team, especially, um, you know, a Minnesota has D'Angelo Russell, has the chance to draft um, uh, a point guard. Mm-hmm. Golden State has Steph Curry. Where are you going to run Ben Simmons in a Steph Curry offense, especially with Clay already playing off the ball, and you can't play Steph off the ball? Right. So I think just the, the teams that are lining up for this don't really line up correctly for Philly to get into, like, the lottery or something yeah. like that. Well, I can tell you 100%. This isn't going to be something that Minnesota does. We had uh, Gerson Rosas, president of the Timberwolves, on Insiders this past weekend. And he said the, the luxury for them is that they're drafting the number one pick, but they already have uh, their their 1A franchise player and their 1B in Cat and D'Angelo Russell. So it's going to be very interesting to see. So really they may be going for best available there, um, which, I mean, Anthony Edwards is nothing to sneeze at there. D'Angelo Russell being a 1B is pretty funny too. It's the classic – It's Listen, I've now I've seen it a few years in a row, right? Yeah. The Nets had nobody. D'Angelo Russell all of a sudden was, was the best player in the world. And then the season after, the Nets have nobody. Spencer Dinwiddie is like the best player in the world. And then, you know, now it looks like Karis LeVert's coming out of the bubble, the best player in the world. The Nets sometimes, I think, because of their, their style of play, they sometimes have a tendency to make some certain players look really good by giving them a lot of shots and a lot of responsibility. So D'Angelo being a 1B, I think that's still, still out there. But I got to say, if there's a team out there with LaMelo Ball, D'Angelo Russell, and Carl Anthony Towns, I'm a fan right off the bat. That's my Western Conference squad. There's no way LaMelo Ball is going number one. You can, you, you can write it down. You, you I'll, can throw, I'll shake 50 bucks with you right now uh, that he no probably LaMelo is. Ball goes number one. No way. It's perfect. The, the, one, two, they're gonna, the pundits are going to talk about it for the next how many months, but the top three of that draft is so obvious to me, yeah. and I can't see it going another way. Right. LaMelo one, Edwards two to the Warriors, and perfect yeah. fit, oh and Wiseman three to the Hornets. They're yeah. all perfect. They just make too much sense. Edwards is the only guy who's plug and play ready for the Warriors next year. He's a wing. He's a scorer. He's exactly what that team needs right now. And basically from three on players shouldn't even care or excuse me, teams shouldn't even care about need. They should just be drafting the best player because there's a huge drop off after three. Yeah. But Benny, I want to get into your nets. You touched on them briefly. I know you never want to get eliminated from the playoffs, but when you see what's on the horizon for this team with Kyrie, KD, the future, uh, maybe Ty Lue, you got to be happy about this. Benny, who do you want as the next Nets head coach? I'll just, I'll, I'll just clear runway, take off. Who do I want as the next? Yes. I mean, I think Ty Lue's a good fit. I do. And I think, you know, it's my instinct. I like Jacques Vaughn. I liked him in Orlando. He had the worst team, so I'm not going to judge that. Yeah. And I think he did a nice job with the team he had in the short time I got to see him. I like the way he deals with the press, and I think he's a good guy. But we know, we know as well as everybody else in the world that Sean Marks is not picking the next head coach for the Nets. I'm not picking the next head coach for the Nets. They're sitting in a room. And Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are picking the next head coach for the Nets. 
I have a feeling that those two might like Ty Lue. Yeah. But at the same time, part of the thing with KD and Kyrie by coming to Brooklyn was defining their own path, particularly for KD, you know? So the idea of taking LeBron's leavings and bringing them to Brooklyn, that's the thing where I wonder if they're going to be into it or not. Because I do think to them, there's a uh, personal narrative they're both trying to write while they're in Brooklyn. Yeah. And that Ty Lu thing doesn't fit that personal narrative. Yeah. So, and I also, um, you know, when it comes to Jacques Vaughn and some of the younger names I'm hearing, as opposed to like a Greg Popovich being tossed <laughs> out there as a potential. I mean, listen, if a thoroughbred coach with, with rings in their uh, resume that Kyrie and KD like and respect and will actually acquiesce to, I'll take them. I'll yeah. take Greg Popovich, but I don't think he's coming. The one other caveat I think people aren't talking about is, let, let's just say, what, was, what do you think is the vintage best Kyrie Irving of his career? Oh, it had to be the Cavs team, right? Yeah, right under LeBron, the Cavs team. Now, the only thing that's similar now to that situation that wasn't similar when LeBron left Cleveland and when he went to Boston is Kyrie obviously isn't the face of a franchise. He doesn't want to be. He's not the type of guy that can take it. He's not a diplomat. He's not someone who's going to give the Derek Jeter answers every night and be okay with it and have the ladies sign the NDA on the way into the apartment. He's not, he's not calculated like that. That's not Kyrie's style. And if there's anything I saw watching KD ride the bench and watching a lot of Nets uh, events and stuff last year, KD's invested, yeah, fully invested in the team, the staff, uh, the fans, everybody. Like, and I really get the feeling next year it's going to be KD's team. And if there's anything I think good, I mean, there's a lot of good that can come out of that, but, you know, but I think that could put Kyrie Irving in a situation where he is second and he's clearly second. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not like, Oh, is he, is he? No, it's Kevin Durant. It's his team. You're Kyrie Irving. You're his point guard. And I think that situation could actually work better than it has, uh, in the last few years and look a little more like it did when Kyrie was playing second fiddle in Cleveland. Mm. This may be the job that gets Mike Brown off of that Warriors bench. Uh, Katie and Mike Brown had a good relationship in Golden State. Um, and it would be because we all know that if, if Nets brass had their way, Kenny Atkinson would probably still be the coach, but clearly, uh, yeah. You know, the head honchos came down and were like, not today. Thank you. So I think Mike Brown, uh, you know, a lot of different jobs uh, he's interviewed for over the past couple of years, but none where he can really right those head coaching wrongs. Uh, I think this team with KD, I think it, it, it's a neat opportunity. Also, another name I've been hearing, a lot of people in the league and a lot of the players really, really like Dave Yeager, the former Kings coach. We really didn't get yeah, a, a sure. fair shake. Didn't get a fair shake. Yeah. Um, so, though, I don't think that's a high-profile enough signing for Brooklyn right now. Yeah, maybe, um, maybe not. But, yeah, no, I would agree with you. 
either Mike Brown or Ty Lue wouldn't surprise me. Ty Lue lets, lets stars play. Green light's always on. So I could definitely see a situation where any of those happen. The wild card, though he declined that he's interested in the NBA today, could see Juwan Howard, uh, right. Nets, and, and KD asked him personally. But I think at this point it's Ty Lue's job to lose with uh, your boy Kenny Atkinson. I think that may be an interesting fit in Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah. Kenny, Kenny's definitely going to get a job. He's going to get a job in a bunch of places. Well, we'll get into the events of the weekend a little bit later. But, Benny, right now, it's time to take a quick timeout and do our dollar slice take. I know we're staying in basketball today. Yeah. Dissolve the NBA draft, okay? <laughs> Dissolve the NBA draft. Let these grown human beings – have something to say or choose and where they want to live and where they want to play. Now, I don't believe in just opening the floodgates like free agency. So in order to keep, uh, keep parity in the league and not just let the biggest teams grab it, you set the order in days that you can negotiate. So rather than having the first pick, you are the first team who is allowed to negotiate with the free agent class. And then you set it for 30 days out where the team who won the championship last year is not allowed to negotiate until 30 days in. If a guy really wants to come to the team that much after 30 days, after hearing 29 other teams' offers, okay, you got him. You won. But I think the probability of a lot of guys going to more interesting places maybe being able to go back home, make some interesting decisions that way. I think uh, lay it on me. Dissolve the NBA draft. That is an NBA PA nightmare, okay? Like, they fought <laughs> so hard for what we have, the 1201 deals, all of that stuff, that for – I mean, Michelle Roberts would be kicked out of the game of basketball if that was ever allowed to happen. <laughs> I like it from the fan perspective. I like the idea of, like, say, though – for some of these teams, right? Like, if you're, like, historically like the Memphis Grizzlies, it doesn't – you could have a whole year ahead of these other teams. I don't think you'd be able to get LeBron right. James to sign with your team. Um, that and so many of these deals happen way before, like, the, the actual time starts. So, I just feel like, are we trying to appease the fans with this? I don't know. But I like – You're saying that the Sacramento Kings will just be sitting on the phone for a month – yeah, Not they'd just be on anymore. hold for a month. They'd just be on <laughs> like me trying to get in touch with my health insurance. Just like voicemail hell. Fuck you. See you in a month. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, my dollar slice take, my NBA dollar slice take for today. Benny, you know, there's been a lot of speculation about next season. And I've heard a lot of things about uh, maybe not a December uh, start to the season, maybe January, because the owners want fans in the stand. There's got to be some give and take, and, and here's my give and take. I feel like we're going to have an abridged version of the bubble starting next year, and mm. you take the divisions. You actually make the divisions mean something, and that's your bubble. So, like, like say, like, one week, like, Brooklyn hosts all, all of the games, and then the Knicks host all of the games, and then the Celtics, and then fit Philadelphia, and so you just play these games in, like, one bubble a week, and then the bubble – Everyone's still in quarantine, can't really leave, can't really do anything, but then the bubble moves to another city. Your thoughts? I, 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 think, I think just the sentence itself 
the bubble moves to another city, I think unbubbles it, you know? And I think, I think you're, cause, cause once you move, yeah. once you travel anywhere, you're unbubbling the bubble in a number of different ways where basically if you wanted to ensure it, whatever city you showed up in, everyone would have to re-quarantine, retest, re-quarantine. No, but, but they're all together. Like it's, it's the same plane taking you everywhere. Wait, how are you getting 400 guys on a plane? Oh, like these. You need like, an airport. You need a whole not, thing. Not one plane. This isn't Soul Plane, Benny. It's uh, like, it is like the same different planes. And you make sure that the hotels, like, like you prepare them exactly like you did going in, into Disney World. I think you could work. You keep the tests going. You keep all of that stuff. And you just make it more, more regional. Still no fans, but hey, at least you're playing it in home arenas. You find some crazy bellhop somewhere. He's just like, I fucking hate the magic. All right, second half of the podcast, and we go back to the bubble. I know for you music people, we got that out of the way. It's basketball time. Playoffs are happening right now. And Benny, over the weekend, oh, man, star- stars were born and stars faded. Luka Doncic hit the game winner in overtime. Cool it as you like. Mike Green had to learn how to say bang in Slovenian. Good. All George, on the other hand, other side of that tilt, Yikes. Playoff Paul George not showing up. But, Benny, because we're a positive show, I want to focus yeah. on Luka Doncic first. Okay. This, okay. Is a, this is a shot that I think <laughs> most people will remember, a lot like LeBron's in his first stint with Cleveland against the Magic. That, that, yeah. that was a huge shot. Yeah. What do you make of this shot? And are we poised for 10 to 15 years of Luka being the best point guard? Heck, maybe even best player in the NBA. Uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. I mean, like, like fuck, I mean, the things you're watching this guy do, I keep it's it's like one of those players that I keep waiting for the other shoe to drop, you know? Yeah. I'm like, what's this guy gonna do that's gonna be bad? He's gonna do something bad soon. And the only thing he's done that's even remotely bad is like not be the greatest outside shooter in the world. Yeah. But apparently makes it every single time he has to. And he's twenty one. Yeah. He's 21 years old. Like, that's the thing that's insane to me. You could bring up every, like, superstar's big breakout moment almost in the history of the NBA. I'm not going to go history of the NBA because I don't have the references to back up that fact. But if somebody could write into this show (laughs) and show me a more important, pivotal, clutch breakout game that a player has had younger than that, I'd like to see it because I don't know where it exists. Yeah. Even when, when LeBron was doing that, he was already a few years into the league, yeah. you know? Uh, and even the, the stars of other eras often played a lot of years in college. So the idea that this guy is not only your best, he is the playmaker on the floor. And at his height, he's – turning into sort of an amalgam of like a lot of different things you know he uh he could be larry bird he could be lebron james he could be he could be like all these different guys that we don't even know yet or he could just be this new what the fuck is going on player so you know between being a natural creator having you know obviously no shyness away from the big situation i mean come on look at this team he's doing it with too They're not great, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, you know, I'll give them credit for the fact that this team 
is like automatically set up for him. Yeah. You know, when you have that kind of creator that demands that much attention, who were two guys you'd rather have out on the wings than Seth Curry and Tim Hardaway Jr.? I mean, it actually wound up, Hmm. you thought this team wasn't constructed well, and it ended up for Luka Doncic being constructed pretty well. But honestly, I've never seen such natural gifts and feel in a player at this age, maybe since I've watched basketball. Yeah. Luca has changed how I think we develop people who are considered to be pro prospects going forward for the long time. It was like, all right, go, go to college. And now we've seen a little bit more with the NBL. Honestly, if you think that you're a good basketball player, if you think that you have the goods to be heck from high school to the pros, go to Europe in high school because you can do that over there, test yourself and, you may not start out in Spain or with a real all Madrid and stuff like that, but if if you get noticed there, skip AAU, go to Europe, try to develop. I think we're seeing this time and time again. If you want to have the NBA career you want, make that sacrifice. Now I know a lot of people can't, and this is I think where you got to call on some of these uh, on these foreign clubs and their scouting sure. uh, to get in into this country a little bit more. But if we start sending some of our young guys uh, in, instead of college, because I mean. We've seen the past few weeks what college is really all about when it comes down to money and their care of their quote-unquote student-athletes. But if you send some of our best players overseas and they're playing Eurobasket at 18 years old and, heck, like Luca may may even be MVP, like, I wonder what would happen if you take, like, someone that's like LeBron James in, like, 2002, 2003 – and you send him, instead of going to his senior year of high school, you send him over and play against grown men because right. college, college is a little soft. You know, I've covered basketball yeah. for five years. I know it's a little soft. But so if you put some of these guys up against grown men, you get toughness, you get actual training. I think Luca and his greatness has changed a path, a path that was already going that way. I think people are going to want to be like, I want to be like Luca. Yeah, it's a good point. And I think you're right. And as you said, you know, with the Australian League, with the things opening up in the G League, I think uh, this path has already started because of what you mentioned. I mean, even we're getting it again this year with James Wiseman. Yeah. Someone is about to draft that guy. And they have no idea. After watching three college basketball games yeah. from one player. And that's it. And the only other stuff you have to base on is the fact that the guy's really athletic and, you know, used to block five, nine <laughs> kids in high school all the time, yeah. you know, and, and you've seen it have play out time and time again. What about a Greg Odin, yeah. you know, who played made what, 10, 10 games in college, yeah. you know, uh, you know, and if you, you actually get this body of work behind them, you know who you're getting a little bit more, especially more than you would with, with one year of college. Cause God forbid one of these guys takes any kind of injury. Yeah. All of a sudden, the sample size for these pro teams is minuscule. Yeah. So I think this—I think you're right, and that's a good point. And you—you you probably will see—we'll—we'll uh, we'll see something, something different and a different path. But I'm really excited for just getting to watch this guy for the next ten years. I hope he stays healthy. Honestly, when someone gets this good, and this has been my per- perpetual fear with Giannis. Just got everyone stay healthy. If we can stay healthy, please stay healthy. I know nobody can really control that, but I really hope Lucas stays healthy. Honestly, he's doing at 21 what Jason Kidd was doing with with the Nets. Like, 
and even more more than that because I think he's a more complete player. So yes, I mean the size the, that that's where like you can't even put him in that box, and you can already put him amongst. I mean, you can't put him amongst the greats or something until he's really won what he's won. But he's yeah. he's positionless. He's the new NBA. The guy's what six seven it. six eight. He's got the body. He's got the dribbling. He's got the shooting. Like there's nothing on a. He just put up 17 fucking rebounds in that game. There's really just nothing he can't do on a court at this point. In the bubble, I think, you know, we've, we, we've talked about this a little bit. The all-tour NBA team, Luka right. a fucking machine on tour. Yeah, yeah. We got we to gotta do a whole segment on that next week. Yeah. We're going to do the all-tour team because that's definitely what's going on right now. Yeah. It's the, guys who, could, the guys who could handle two weeks of Motel 6s and rest area lunch. And guys who just want to go home two days later, you know? I've seen it both, Denny. Well, I've seen them both. Well, speaking of the other one, what's up with Paul George? Playoff P is back and not in a, a way that he initially intended. And I would dare say Paul George right now is bringing the Clippers down, not allowing them to uh-huh. be at their best. The problem with Paul George in this bubble has been – I think he's still scared of contact. So when Paul George has, has been driving the lane, right, he's been trying to get the foul, but he hasn't been absorbing contact. And why that's important to his outside shot is because when you go up, especially when a hand is in your face, you're supposed to, like, follow through. But if you're afraid of getting contact, you're not going to follow through. And I think that's really throwing off his shot right now. And then – when, when he's going into the lane, he's throwing up circus shots. And when you throw up circus shots, contrary to what it looks like when you watch it, when someone absorbs contact, adjusts, there's way more poise and core control going on than mm-hmm. someone that like actually just is like on the playground and throwing up circus shots. So, Well, I mean, firstly, Paul George obviously wouldn't be able to survive a fan tour, okay? <laughs> he's a bus tour guy. Yeah. Let's just say he's a bus tour guy right off the bat. And B, he's got to be hurt a little. Like, like, he does look so unorthodox in some of these situations, especially in the lane, that I do think something's wrong, uh, just to throw that out there. Like, the guy doesn't seem 100% healthy to me. But this long history of him coming up short in big spots is now extremely well documented. And I don't know if he's bringing the Clippers down but is he the is he the B, you know, the one B that everybody thought he could be, where it's Kawhi Leonard and then the other guy? Yeah. I don't know at this point. What does he need to do to prove that? He's gotta win some fucking games, man. He's gotta win a game for that team. He's gotta come up big in a big spot and he's gotta prove everybody wrong because people didn't just make this up right now. This is based on track record. We've all watched it. We even saw it in Indiana. I mean, those were very good teams that went a long way, but there was always this next level that he seemed he couldn't get to. And I think people thought he got to that within the last couple years, and he seemed to come very close. But every time these big spots keep coming up, it's kind of the same old thing. So it's a simple answer. How does Paul George reverse what he's been doing and the uh, reputation he's got? Do the other thing. Just win, baby. <laughs> yeah. Win and hit a couple of those big shots, and all of a sudden 
your big shot George. People have a really short memory span, you know? It is. And last thought from me here on this, it is weak sauce, okay, that you go from Oklahoma City to the Clippers wanting the bright lights. You wanted Hollywood. You wanted yeah, Los sure. Angeles. Sure. And then you have uh, not great bubble, not great bubble playoffs, and you disable your comments on Instagram. Letting oh, the trolls win. I didn't know that. Oh, George. Shame on you. Honestly, I was picking the Clippers to go to the finals. Paul George is reading Instagram comments in the hotel. No chance. Give on the run. <laughs> He's an all-tour team guy. I've had enough of Paul George. Yeah, it's only a matter of time before the PG burner account starts getting some <laughs> love. You know it's coming. Uh, well, if you want to troll us, you can troll us at vtunapodcast at gmail.com. You can write it out. Write out a letter. Please let us be known. Or, hey, if you want to, like, gush over how much you love the pod, we'd accept that, too. You can can check out all of our content at vtunaphq on Twitter and Instagram. New stuff coming there all the time. Be sure to get in there, like, follow, do all the things. If you want to follow the big man, he he is at Benny Horowitz1, number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. I'm at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Benny? Yeah. I want everyone to take a long, deep breath, soak in the beauty of the world, oh. and spit out the Nets championship next season, which is coming. <laughs> <laughs> Benny, you totally tripped me up there because I was about to go, happy birthday, Kobe Bryant. You've been listening to the tune-up, and you just kind of fucked it all up for me. I blew that Nets one. championship. Yeah, whatever but sincerely happy birthday kobe we miss you thanks for listening to the tune-up